Tonight, God's Word comes to us from 1 Corinthians chapter 8. 1 Corinthians 8, and we'll be reading the 13 verses of this chapter. First Corinthians 8, beginning at verse 1. What we hear now is God's Word. Now concerning food offered to idols, we know that all of us possess knowledge. This knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. If anyone imagines that he knows something, He does not yet know as he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, he is known by God. Therefore, as to the eating of food offered to idols, we know that an idol has no real existence and that there is no God but one. For although there may be so-called gods in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords. Yet for us there is one God, the Father, from whom are all things and for whom we exist, and one Lord Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through whom we exist. However, not all possess this knowledge, but some, through former association with idols, eat food as really offered to an idol, and their conscience, being weak, is defiled. Food will not commend us to God. We are no worse off if we do not eat, and no better off if we do. But take care that this right of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. For if anyone sees you who have knowledge eating in an idol's temple, will he not be encouraged, if his conscience is weak, to eat food offered to idols? And so by your knowledge, this weak person is destroyed, the brother for whom Christ died. Thus, sinning against your brothers and wounding their conscience when it is weak, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat, lest I make my brother stumble. Here in the reading of God's holy word. Well, we are continuing in this letter of Paul, the matters about which they wrote him. You recall that back in chapters 5 and 6, He addressed matters that were reported to him. And then in chapter 7, he began this way, now concerning the matters about which you wrote. And he is going to, for the next several chapters, address matters they wrote him about. You recall that chapter 7 is about the various relationships that we find ourselves in. I'm sure that even our children by now know the theme of that chapter is remain as you are. We spent four different sermons looking at chapter 7. We move on now to chapter 8, now concerning food offered to idols, something else which they had wrote them about. 
Now, if you want a general category for what he's going to deal with in chapters 8 and 9 and 10, he is dealing with issues related to idolatry. And you'll look at different facets of issues, but that's the general category, issues related to idolatry. He is going to give them ethical instruction. How should they live? And he's going to point out that their ethics should not simply be rooted in what they know, but their ethics have to be rooted deeper than that. Their ethics are rooted in the gospel itself, in God's love for them and their love for one another. In chapter 8, <clears throat> he deals particularly with the matter of food offered to idols. Now, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but I suspect if I asked you tonight, how many of you this past week were troubled by the issue of food being offered to idols? I suspect as many hands would go up as there are up right now. Not many of us were troubled by that issue. Oh man, I'm really concerned about food being offered to idols. That is just something, something not in, in the spheres in which we live. And so what do we do with a text like this? There was people who say, well, just skip it. <laughs> just skip chapter 8. We don't deal with that. Let's go on to chapter 9. But we know that all, all, of God's Word is profitable for us. And while we may not deal with this particular issue, food being offered to idols, the principles that Paul gives them in how they are to deal with this issue, he also gives to us because they deal with not simply the matter of food offered to idols, but how do we show love for each other in the church of Jesus Christ? How do we relate to each other as the body of Christ? And he is going to give us this call to, to be those who love each other, particularly those who are concerned about the weaker brother in the faith. Well, what was the problem? What was going on? When food <clears throat> was being offered to uh, the pagan idols in Corinth, uh, not all of that food was used up. Some of the food was offered up, burnt up. Some of the food was eaten by the priests. Some of the food would be sold in the markets. And some of the food would be used to put on, I guess, what we would just call a community potluck. They would welcome anyone who wanted to come to the temple and to eat some of this leftover food, to have a meal together. And the question the Corinthians were dealing with was, may we go and eat that food? Uh, they're going to say, look, we know certain things. He says this, he quotes them. We know all of us possess knowledge. There's a certain knowledge we know about this food being offered to idols. So based on what we know, it should be okay for us to go and enjoy the free meal, to go and enjoy the food, even though this food has been offered to idols. They were using knowledge 
as the basis for their ethics. We know certain things, therefore we can do certain things. Paul quotes them. Yes, all of us possess knowledge. But knowledge, in itself, knowledge puffs up. But love builds up. Paul is going to say throughout this chapter, simply knowing certain things must not be the basis of of the ethics of how we deal with each other in the church. Knowledge is simply not enough. It's a component of our ethics, but it's not enough. Our ethics must be rooted in love. Knowledge puffs up, but love, love builds up. A love for God and a love for his people. Paul goes on to say, verse 2, if anyone imagines that he knows something, he does not yet know as he ought to know. Knowledge is simply not sufficient. I think it was Socrates who said, Wisdom is knowing one's ignorance, knowing what we do not know yet. Paul, almost reflecting that same idea, if anyone imagines that he knows something, he does not yet know as as he ought to know. Knowledge is not enough. Knowledge can make us arrogant. Knowledge can puff us up. It is love for God and love for his people. That will build us up. This is how he calls the church to relate to each other, with love as the root of their ethics. For he says in verse 3, but if anyone loves God, he is known by God. That is a a problematic verse uh, with regard to its translation for a variety of reasons, one of which uh, the word God really doesn't occur in that verse. Uh, A better translation would be the one who loves really knows. I think that's better on both internal and external evidence. The the flow of the thought goes this way, verse 2. If anyone imagined that he knows something, he does not yet know as he ought to know. But the one who loves, he really knows. Love, not knowledge, alone as the basis of our ethics. Love for God and love for his people. He's going to say in verse 4 what what the problem with their reasoning was. They give an argument to Paul. Verse 4, therefore, as to eating the food offered to idols, they had given him two things they knew that would allow them to eat the food. One, an idol has no real existence. This is what they wrote. Paul is quoting them. Yes, an idol has no real existence and... There is no God but one. Knowing these two facts, their conclusion that an idol has no real existence, there is no God but one, therefore, we are free to eat the food. Therefore, we may do this. Paul is going to agree with both of their premises, both of their knowledge facts, but come to a very different conclusion. He says, For although 
there may be so-called gods in heaven and on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords. There are things that people believe are idols, but we know the truth that an idol has no real existence. That's their first point. And secondly, he goes on to say, Yet for us there is one God, the Father, from whom are all things and for whom we exist, and one Lord Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through whom we exist. Yes, there is no God but one. Paul agrees with both of their premises. An idol has no existence. There is no God but one. But he reminds them with regard to God. This is the Father from whom are all things and for whom we exist. We exist not to satisfy our own desires. We exist for the blessing of God the Father. We exist to do what pleases Him, not necessarily what pleases us. We exist for His pleasure and through whom through whom are all things and through whom we exist. We exist, we have life because of Jesus Christ. We live through Him, through what He has done for us, through the power of His Spirit. Paul reminds them who they are. They are God's children. They belong to the body of Christ, and therefore it must be love which informs their ethics, love which informs their relationship with each other, not simply this brute knowledge that there are no other gods and there, there, there are no other idols have no existence and there is but one God. No, it's not knowledge. Because, he says in verse 7, however, not all possess this knowledge, but some, through former association with idols, eat food as really offered to an idol and their conscience being weak is defiled. Don't forget, this is a Corinthian culture. They are coming out of paganism. And there were some who were so steeped in that paganism, they couldn't free themselves from the association between the food being offered and the idol itself. And so Paul says, be very, very careful. Again, verse 8, food will not commend us to God. We are no worse off if we do not eat. We're no better off if we do eat. This is a matter of indifference, Paul is saying. This is not a direct command of God, how it is we should deal with these things. So let's, let's live in the context in which God's, God has put us. Not simply a context of knowledge, but a context of love. Love for God and love for his people. Paul affirms that these two things are true. Yes, an idol is nothing, and there is only one God. But he says, rather than just taking those two brute facts and coming to a conclusion, our ethic is tempered by love. And so Paul brings them to this conclusion, uh, to their question, verse 9. But take care that this right of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. Out of your love for God, out of your love for his people, take care. And he does say, this is a right of yours. Yes, you do have the right 
to go and eat that food because an idol is nothing and there is only one God. Yes, you have that right. This is not a matter of law. If it were a matter of law, there would be no option for them. They would have to do what God said. It's not a matter of law. This is a matter of what we would call Christian liberty. How do I use my Christian liberty? He says, we must be so careful not to become a stumbling block to the weak. But take care that this right of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. What is a stumbling block to the weak? I think at times we have taken a text like this and applied it too broadly. I have heard people say, look, based on, on, uh, on uh, 1 Corinthians 8, if what you're doing is an offense to me, you shouldn't do it because you could be a stumbling block to me. And they have, what I would say, have stretched this beyond the bounds of what Paul is saying. When he says, what is a stumbling block to the weak? He doesn't mean that we simply don't like what someone else is doing in the church or we disagree with what someone else is doing in the church. That will happen. We are fallen, we are sinful, we will have different opinions on different things. That's not what he's talking about. Simply having a difference of opinion. What he is talking about is leading someone by what we do to commit a sin against their conscience. Look at verse 10. For if anyone sees you who have knowledge eating in the idol's temple, will he not be encouraged, if his conscience is weak, to eat food offered to idols? Not just that he doesn't like you eating that food, but because he sees you, he will be encouraged. The word is built up. The word is emboldened. He will be emboldened to sin even against his own conscience. And Paul says, that we may not do. Perhaps the action we're taking is within our Christian liberty. There is no such thing as an idol. There is only one God. This food is just food. That's what we know, Paul says. But if by going and partaking, I not only simply offend somebody, they don't like what I'm doing, but I encourage them in their conscience to sin against what they believe. Paul says that is a matter of license that does not comport with love. Love for our fellow church members. Verse 11, and so by your knowledge, this weak person is destroyed, the brother for whom Christ died. Thus, sinning against your brother and wounding their conscience when it is weak, you sin against Christ. Paul says, no, it must be love not license, which drives our Christian ethics. A love for God, a love for someone for whom Christ has died. God loved this brother or sister so much that he sent his son Jesus Christ to die for them. Who are we? To encourage them, to embolden them against their own conscience to sin against God wounding their conscience when it's weak, you sin against Christ. No, Paul says, 
I know the same things you know. I know the truth. I know you're right. Yes, there is no such thing as an idol, and yes, there is only one God. But the conclusion is, if by my actions I would embolden someone else to sin against their conscience, that I will not do. Verse 13, Therefore, if food makes my brothers stumble, I will never eat meat, lest I make him stumble. Paul says, I will give up my liberty. That which I could do, I will give up my liberty for the sake of love. Love for God and love for his people. And that is a message that certainly applies today. That we would be willing to give up our rights. Paul says you have the right. We would be willing to give up our rights for the sake of those around us. Again, this is not a matter of law. This is a matter of Christian liberty. Those things that we can or cannot do. Paul says eating doesn't really matter. Not eating doesn't really matter. It's not a matter of law. It's a matter of our liberty. And we live in a society that says if you have the rights, you take the rights. You do whatever you want, no matter how it affects anyone else. Paul says that's knowledge. That's knowledge which puffs up. No, we need to be, have an ethic based in love. Love which builds up. Not builds up another to sin, but builds them up in their walk with the Lord. We are called as the church of Jesus Christ to love God above all and to love our neighbor as ourselves. Our goal is not to claim all the rights that we have, not to express our Christian liberty at the expense of our weaker brother or sister, but out of love for God, to say, as Paul would say, I won't eat meat ever again if it is going to make my brother sin against his own conscience, if it will be a stumbling block for him. Food sacrificed to idols, probably not a major concern for us. How we live as the body of Christ, how we relate to one another, that is a matter of daily concern for us. How can I show my love to God? How can I show my love to my brothers and sisters? How can I give up my rights for the sake of others? And that was certainly at the heart of the mission of Jesus Christ. He gave up his right to remain in heaven with the Father and the Holy Spirit for all eternity. He gave up that which was his, and he gave himself to come to earth. He gave up that which was his own. He came down and he emptied himself. He took on the form of a servant, humbling himself, going all the way to death that we might have life. Gave up his liberty that we might be freed from sin and death. By, by expressing this love-based ethic. We, even in a pale way, we reflect 
the love of our Savior Jesus Christ because of what he did. And that's where our ethics always come from. It's not that we have ethics in order that we might be good people. Our ethics flow from what God has done for us. They flow from the gospel. They flow from his love expressed to us in Jesus Christ. And because of that, he now calls us to love him above all and to love our brothers and sisters in the church. That's Paul's encouragement. That's Paul's instruction, not simply about food offered to idols, but about living as the loving people of God. Let's join together in prayer. Our Lord and our God, we are so thankful to you for your word, for all of your word. We know, O oh God, that particular instances, particular circumstances and situations may change from what they were dealing with in the New Testament times. But the truth of your word and the principles derived from your word are absolutely timeless and speak to us yet again today. If we have failed in our love for you, if we have failed in our love for our brothers and sisters in Christ, forgive us, O oh God. Where we have pressed our liberty and used our license at the expense of love for those around us, forgive us, O oh God. And use your word and by the power of your Holy Spirit, encourage us, strengthen us, help us to live an ethic that is rooted in the gospel, in your love for us, that we might show love for others. Hear our prayer, O God, for Jesus' sake. Amen. We turn to number 409 in the Trinity Psalter hymnal. 409. Blessed be the tie that binds our hearts in Christian love. The fellowship of kindred minds is like to that above. We're going to sing verses 1, 2, and 3, and then verse 6. The first three verses and verse 6, number 409. Let's stand together as we sing. 